I'm sure that you feel that this has been a uncertain week. And for many of us, at least on a national level, know that America hasn't had a week like this probably in close to 20 years uh, since 9-11. Since a great question to keep asking ourselves, and this won't be the last time, is where do you seek safety in uncertainty? Where do you find refuge? Where do you find refuge? For some of you, by God's grace, this week has been an encouraging week to you as you see in visible ways God working in your heart. You've cried out to the Lord. You've dived into his word. You've been memorizing and meditating on scripture. You've sought out his people for encouragement and comfort and sought out them to serve. But for others of you, perhaps this week has been an exposing week. You've, you, as you look back, you realize you've been looking for refuge in the size of your savings account, or maybe the, the uh, security of your job field convinced that at least your job is going to be there when this crisis is over. Maybe you've been looking for security in your basic overall health. Well, I'm a healthy person, you say to yourself. Or maybe it's the fact that you own your home for some of you. Perhaps this week has been a revealing week as you felt a little adrift at sea, anchorless, without some of the usual ports of comfort you're in the habit of going to. You know, maybe there's been times in the past where your retirement account looked better. Or maybe you, you, you're in the habit of looking forward to the weekend when you get to try a new restaurant or spend some time with friends or you look forward to the early morning workout at the gym and that kind of sets your day right. Maybe you're used to looking for comfort in your friends and family and God has been stripping some of those normal comforts from you and you feel exposed, anchorless. Where do you go when the ground shakes, when your security is threatened, when the future is unknown? God's word has the answer of where we need to go. This morning, I want to bookshelf our time in Psalm 46. I want to begin and end with a chapter in the Old, Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Now, as you may have noticed in the beginning of Psalm 46, which I read just a couple minutes ago, Psalm 46 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a group of Levites in the Old Testament who would lead the temple worship. As we read through 2 Chronicles 20, and we're not going to read through the whole thing at this point, you're going to see the sons of Korah. So be looking out for them, and you're going to be seeing them leading in temple worship. Now, we are far, we are far from certain, but perhaps this psalm, Psalm 46, is, is, was written in reflection upon some of the events that take place in 2 Chronicles 20. Now, we don't know that, but the sons of Korah mentioned both places. There's an even a slim chance, I think it sets up a really good scene to, to imagine and to kind of place ourselves in Psalm 46. 2 Chronicles 20, the events there take place during the middle of the 9th century BC. That's nearly 3,000 years ago. King Jehoshaphat is reigning in the southern kingdom of Judah. He wasn't a perfect king, but he was a, a godly king who directed his people to God's word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Chronicles 20. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 19. And, and, and I may stop uh, 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 every once in a while to explain, but it's a, pretty, it's a pretty clear story. 
It's a thrilling way to set up Psalm 46 this morning. Second Chronicles 20, I'll start at verse 1. If you're thumbing through your Bible quickly, it's after Samuel and Kings, Chronicles, Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. Now it came about after this that, that the sons of Moab and the sons uh, of Ammon, different people groups, together with the son of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat, against the people of Judah. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, Great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi, to the east of Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. We got to love that, right? What does he do when he's afraid? He turns his attention to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. It was a time for them to admit their neediness before God. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and, and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court in front of the temple. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Verse 7, Jehoshaphat continues, Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They've lived in it and have built a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. So Israel was going to cry out to God when they had trouble, and this is what he does. Now behold, God, the sons of Ammon, verse 10, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You got to love that trust there. God, the enemies are threatening. We're looking to you. Verse 13. This is sweet too. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. They're all looking to God for help. Verse 14. Then in the midst of the of assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Je Je Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. So one of the prophets, God's spirit comes on him. And this Jehaziel says in verse 15, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of, of, of Jeruel. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. 
Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. We're going to hear that again in Psalm 46. Jehoshaphat, verse 18, bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19, I told you we see the sons of Korah. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites, the sons of Korah, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. There they're singing. They haven't been delivered yet, just God has promised it to them. And verse 20, they rose early in the morning, and we're going to stop there. And we'll catch up with what happens at the end of Psalm 46. But as we stop there, can you feel the suspense in 2 Chronicles 20? They, there they are. And you can imagine them that night waiting for the morning. What do you do during the night? During the times of distress? When you're in that impossible place, when you have yet to see God act, perhaps you have felt pressure this past week. For some of you, the kids are at home more than normal. They seem like they're going crazy. Perhaps you're running out of diapers and the store doesn't have any. Perhaps you find yourself out of work. What do you do during the night? In Psalm 46, we're going to see four, four responses to distress, to these trials, so that God is exalted as a saint's strength and as their stronghold. So Psalm 46, we're going to see four responses to distress, so that God is exalted, so that he is praised as the saint's strength and as their stronghold. So when in distress, here's the first one. Confess your confidence in God. When in distress, confess your confidence in God. And we'll see that in verse 1. Psalm 46 begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the first verse, the, the sons of Korah reveal the theme of this psalm. God is our refuge. The word refuge refers to a shelter. Now, that could be a, a cave that you're hiding in with your family from the invading armies, or maybe it's a cellar you're hiding in because there ha has been a, 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 a tornado sighting. Not that there's many of those in Southern California, but you've seen that in movies, hiding in that cellar. That's a refuge, a place of safety. God is our place of safety. It is where we are to run in times of trouble. Not to the gallons of milk we have stored away in our freezers. Many of you probably didn't know you could freeze milk. That's become a thing recently. We don't run to refuge to our cupboards full of food, or maybe increasingly less food. We don't run to our gun safe or the fact that we have full tanks of gas in our car. We don't run to safety to our bank accounts. We don't run to our health. We don't run to the security of our job field, which we're certain is going to outlast the coronavirus. No, instead, we run to our God. He is our place of safety, and he is our strength. And it says that he's our strength, that he alone has the might, the ability that we need. He enables us to please him, to fulfill the commands he's given us, even during times of distress. So that we can do 
what we know we ought to do so that we can do the next right thing. God is our might. He is the, the, the electricity in our appliances. He is the energy, and I'm just using a picture there, that we need to obey him. Without him, we are unplugged. We can do nothing to please him. It's true. We might be refreshed by our friends. We might be supported by our families. But our strength, our ability to please him comes from God alone. When we are out, we are done. When we are out of patience, when we feel empty, when we are, 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 have no capacity left to love as we ought, when we are unable to rejoice, when our compassion has been hollowed out and scraped, when our river, when our river of praise has dried up, God is our strength, empowering our obedience. God is a very present help in trouble, it says in verse 1, second half. He has not abandoned us. God is present to give help. He gives the assistance. He provides what we lack. He is suitable to us. He gives what we need in trouble. It's also translated as distress there or even anguish. The root of the word is, is when things are narrow or confining. When we feel ourselves in a claustrophobic situation, when you are pressed by the circumstances, whether an invading army, a financial shortfall, or someone in your own home has the coronavirus, when the hospital bills start piling up, when you feel there's no way out, when you can feel your lungs begin to tighten and panic, when the air is squeezed out of you, those who find themselves in impossible situations, God is a very present help in trouble. He is very present. He excels at assisting those who cry out to him. Praise the Lord. Now notice the pronoun there. It does say our. He is our refuge, our strength. And you have to ask yourself, and maybe God is using this time so that you do ask yourself, is the God of the Bible is the creator, is the sovereign one, your refuge? Is he your strength? This is not a time to be at odds with your creator. Romans 5.10 describes that before being made right with God, we are his enemies. We shake our fists at him. We want to rule our lives instead of for him to rule our lives. And we reject what he says in his word. We are at enmity with God. But that's not the end of the story. Romans 5.10 says, well, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God for the death of his son. And that is what God is doing in the midst of any crisis. That's the story of the, the world since the fall is that he's been reconciling sinners to himself. And you, if you are not yet right with God this morning, you can be reconciled to God. You can be made right with God through the death of his son. Romans 5.1 tells us how you can have God as your refuge and God as your strength. Therefore, having been justified by faith, to be justified means to be declared righteous, to be made righteous, to be made right with God so that you're not at odds with God, so that you're not at war with God. For the enmity to be over, you can be justified by faith. Through believing by saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I am putting all of my hope in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That when he died, he took the punishment of my sins so that I could be at peace with you. 
That's what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You this morning can have peace with God. I know some of you are not at peace with him. Please be reconciled to God by believing in Jesus Christ this morning even. But some of you do know, you already know, that God is your refuge and your strength. So in this crisis, have you been refreshed? Have you been refreshed in knowing God is your refuge and strength? As you find him a very present help in your trouble? I'm sure that many of you can already tell stories this week, of this past week, of how God has been helping you. Those are, that is what we need to share with one another in this upcoming week. Has God helped you a victory over complaining and over despair? Has God helped you minister to one another? Has God given you wisdom in shepherding your kids? Has God provided for practical needs? Discovering that Amazon Fresh just will deliver milk to your house, perhaps. Have you had new opportunities to share the gospel? How has God been a very present help to you in your trouble? This is the story that he's writing for his glory. We get to share that with one another. In this current crisis, confess your confidence in God. When this distress is over, your summary is going to be, God was to me a very present help in trouble. Amen? So first, when in distress, confess your confidence in God. We saw that in verse 1. The second thing to do when in distress, so that God is glorified as our strength and as our shelter, our stronghold. When in distress, too, refuse to fear because of God. Refuse to fear because of God. We see that in verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters, the sea's waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, the pride of the sea rising against the shore. And then he says, Selah, I need to take a stop and meditate on that. Therefore, because of God's commitment to us who are in Christ Jesus, because we have placed our confidence in him, because he is our refuge and strength, we will not fear. Even if the earth goes through a cataclysmic change. I'm sure many of you have seen a, a disaster movie. Maybe you have a favorite one. Maybe some of you have seen, seen a movie like Twister with, 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 with the, I don't know, class F-17 uh, tornado in it. Or San Andreas where there's this giant earthquake. Or the day after tomorrow where all the worst predictions of climate change come true. Well, verses two and three is where all those movies got their ideas. Now, I don't know that really, but kind of. The, the scene here, though, is even worse. It's a complete upheaval of creation. It's God undoing what he did. It is cataclysmic chaos. The pillars of the earth crumbling. Mountains careening into the sea. Oceans without borders voraciously swallowing the land. It's been thousands of years. Since the days of Noah, that humans, since humans have faced anything close to the disaster described here. The worst tsunamis and earthquakes of this past century are a glimpse of the destruction it talks about in these verses. But like Noah on the ark, 
We will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Though, though, it says in the beginning of verse 2, therefore we will not fear, though the earth, it doesn't have to happen, even if our child's temperature slowly rises, or though we are unsettled by our spouse's sandpapery cough, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Though the doors of our dream business that we've built with our own sweat closes, even though the doors of our business are shuttered, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Though a loved one in a hospital we can't even visit rasps and gasps on a ventilator, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Even if we are to feel the ache of hunger in a soup line, we don't know what the fall is going to be. We will not fear because God is a refuge and strength. Even if looters are rattling our back door, we will not fear because God is a refuge and strength. Even if bombs fall rattling the teeth in our head, we're not going to fear because God is a refuge and strength. Are you willing to say in the midst of this crisis and we don't know what happens next, I will not fear. And it's not because everything I just said isn't scary. It's because God is your refuge and strength. Because you have been reconciled to him and his son. Because he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. We have no reason to fear. We will not fear because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. We will not fear because the God who reigns is your refuge and strength. Will you watch the nightly news? Will you check the internet? Or even worse, will you watch this nightmare unfold in verses 2 and 3? Something even worse than we can imagine and say, you know, I can sing. I can sing with the sons of Korah. God is my refuge and strength. I will not fear. Let the watching world, including the kids in our own homes, know the kind of God we serve because we refuse to fear by God's grace with his strength. So when in distress, we need to confess our confidence in God, verse 1. When in distress, we need to refuse to fear because of God, in verses 2 and 3. And then third, when in distress, look to God for provision and protection. We'll see this in verses 4 to 7. The third, the third way we need to respond so that God is exalted and strengthened the stronghold is to look to God for provision and, and protection. Verses 4 through 6 describes the confidence those have in the city of, of Jerusalem, described as the city of God. It's called the holy dwelling place of the Most High, because that is where his temple was. It's not saying that God is, is somehow constrained to live inside a temple, but this was the center of his attention on earth, the center of worship for God's covenant people. Psalm 46 verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy dwelling places of the Most High. Jerusalem is a city in, in the hills, and there's not a major river nearby. But the reason why the city began there is that there is a spring called, called, 
called the Gaihan Spring. It is in the in the in the Kidron Valley, and it provides water for the city of of Jerusalem. And this stream is a comforting thought for the psalmist. He says, "There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God." But I don't think that the psalmist here is simply saying, hey, guys, we're fine. We've got a great stream in the back. He's not simply praising God for that stream. That, that, as, as he thinks about it, that stream symbolizes for him God's constant provision. His goodness is on display. How God enables his people to weather adversity. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is taking care of us. God is providing for us. The beginning of verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. God is with us. We're not going to be moved. But Jerusalem's safety wasn't her water supply. It wasn't her armies. It wasn't her walls. Jerusalem's safety was her God. In verse two, it says that in this, in, it says that God's people will. Oh, in, in in verse two, excuse me, it says that the mountains may slip. Right, the mountains will be moved, falling into the sea. Well, here it says in verse five, God's people will not be moved. It's the same word. God's people won't slip. They are not going to be tottered. They are steadfast. Our source of confidence is God's attentive presence. God is in the midst of her. It is God's affection directed toward his adopted. Second half of verse five says, God will help her when morning dawns. And it's easy there to imagine what the sons of Korah were thinking of as they waited for that next morning. God will help her when the morning dawns. It's exciting to imagine them waiting for, for the deliverance the next day from the Ammonites and the Moabites. And there, that scene in 2 Chronicles 20 would not be the last for the people of Israel. The psalmist is as certain of the sun rising as he is that God will help in the morning. Light is going to shatter darkness. Deliverance will dawn. Rescue is coming. Beginning of verse 6 describes the nations. The nations made an uproar. The nations raged against the city of Jerusalem. You can imagine the hordes banging their swords on their shields, shouting taunts, mocking Yahweh like Goliath had centuries before against David. But when the nations rage, God rebukes and says the kingdoms of the earth tottered. It's that word again. They're, they're moved. They slip. It's like pawns in an upturned chessboard. I don't know if you ever did that when you were losing. Or toy soldiers set up on a blanket, which is whipped into the air. The kingdoms are tottered. The nations raged, but now they're falling apart. Verse 6, the second half says, he raised his voice. The earth melted. How did this victory happen? How did the nations who were just seconds ago raging, how did they totter? God spoke. The voice of creation now speaks to destroy God's enemies. And it's this metaphor here. Of, it's a mix of military invasion and cataclysmic upheaval. The earth melted. No one stands in God's way. The elements dissolve in the forge of God's voice. Solids become liquid when God speaks. 
verses 4 through 6 describe God's provision for Jerusalem and his protection of Jerusalem. The center of his worship upon earth. But in this age, in this age, God's people, the church, those who are in Christ Jesus is the center of God's worship upon the earth. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Currently, we, God's people, who are in Christ Jesus, are where God is worshipped. Ephesians 2.19 and 20-22 describes this as God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the truth of God's word, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We are God's temple where God is worshipped, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And that's true of you in your homes this morning. We together across the world are joined. God's people are God's temple where God is being worshipped. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. The church, universal, is unstoppable. No king, no religion, no, no reign has been able to overthrow the worship of God amongst his people. This virus will not make a dent in God's worship. Praise will outpace whatever number of infections there are. God is in the midst of his people. His church will not be moved. God continues to strengthen us and to refresh us with a stream. And that stream is, is, is not a stream outside the city walls. That stream is his spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in John 7, 38 to 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of his spirit. Those who are in Christ Jesus have his spirit bubbling out of them in praise directed back to worship to God. We will not be moved because we have his spirit in us so that we worship him. So that we continue to look to him alone for provision and protection while we are distressed. For us in Christ Jesus, the dawn we wait for is not when this safer at home order is lifted and we all get to go out. Dawn we're waiting for is not when a coronavirus vaccine has been found. The dawn we're waiting for is not even if one of you were to become infected and you outlive that. The dawn we're waiting for is not even when we get to worship together again. It'll be soon. The dawn that we are waiting for, the morning we long for, is the arrival of our great King, Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been learning about in 2 Peter before we've started focusing on finding comfort in God's word in other places. 2 Peter 1.19 said, We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. That is the dawn that we are waiting for. That is the morning we are looking forward to. Not for this, this momentary crisis to be done, although we'll all be relieved, whether that be a month or six months or a year. We are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And until then, we do good to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place, to look to what God's word promises 
We will not be moved because God is in our midst. So we look to him for provision and for protection, right, saints? God's people today look to the Lord like the saints in ancient Jerusalem did. Why? Because of what Psalm 46 verse 7 says. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of hosts. That means he is the God of armies. And it describes Yahweh God, the self-existent covenant-making God that I am who I am in charge of his angelic host. And we could think about Elijah praying for his servant. Uh, and when Elijah in 2 Kings 6 verse 17, the prophet Elijah says, O Lord, I pray, open my servant's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. God is the Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of armies. And he is with us. And in Hebrew, this is part of the word we, we, we get in, in, in Emmanuel from. God is with us, and he is with us now in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that it was good for us that he went to heaven and he sent his spirit. And that is how Christ stays with us, with this spirit, this, this stream flowing out of us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our stronghold. And that's really a sweet phrase there. The God of Jacob. If you read in, about Jacob in the Old Testament, the guy was kind of a zoo, like us. He was frail. He was imperfect. He was a schemer. He was a deceiver. He was in need of rescue. He was a sinful man. But God is now known as the God of Jacob. See, God unwaveringly kept his covenant to Jacob. The, the book of Genesis does describe Jacob slowly growing in his commitment to trust God, even as we are growing in our commitment to trust God during this time. The God of Jacob is a stronghold. He is an excessively high place, a place of safety. God is a stronghold. The God of Jacob is a stronghold for frail, imperfect people like you and me, people whom he has chosen to save in his grace. So during this distress, our eyes are not looking to scientists to provide cures. Our eyes are not looking to the government to protect or to cut checks that would provide. Our eyes are directed toward the temple in heaven, to the throne of God, to Jesus Christ who has all authority and power. He is in our midst. We will not be moved. And that's what we do in distress. We look to God for provision and protection by God's grace. So when in distress, verse 1, we confess our confidence in God. Verses 2 through 3, we refuse to fear because of God. Verses 4 through 7, we look to God for provision and protection. And verses 8 through 11, we watch and wait for God to work. And that's what we are doing in our homes. We are watching and waiting for God to work. Verses 8 through 11. Psalm 46, verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. The command is to come and see what God will do. Get a front row seat. You're about to see the fireworks of his glory. You're about to see the curtains unfold on the premiere of his power. Now, 
This is prophecy, but it's written as if God has already acted. It says, who has wrought desolations on the earth? He's saying, come behold, see what God has done. He uses that past tense because the future deliverance is as certain as the past. It says good is done. This word for, for desolations, it's, it's horrors. It's gasp and inducing devastations describes God's judgment who has wrought desolations on the earth. This is stuff that hasn't happened yet, but God brings these desolations with a purpose, and it's a good purpose. We see that in verse 9. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. The Lord will bring in global peace to the ends of the earth. Israel's victory over the nations is just a foretaste of the future victory that is coming when Christ returns, when the weapons of warfare are destroyed, when Christ brings in global peace, when bows are broken and spears are shattered, when guns and tanks are melted down to make toys for kids. When the nuclear bombs of the earth are taken from the earth in a great big bundle and thrown into the heart of the sun. When God's son, Jesus Christ, wins a total knockout. When he's proclaimed uncontested champion of the world. When Christ reigns. How must we respond now to what God is going to do in the future when Christ returns? Psalm 46 verse 10. Cease striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cease striving. And the ESV says, be still. Now, be still has kind of more of a, like, oh, I'm going to fold my hands and be contemplative feel. The idea more is drop your hands. Stop fighting. Put down your gloves. Say uncle. Tap out. You cannot beat the Lord of hosts. And some of you today in your homes are still trying to fight the king. Stop. Cease striving. Now, this is, it is, is applicable to all of us who are struggling to submit to God's sovereignty in the, in the situation we are facing. But it's directed most towards those who resisting God's reign now. So stop trying to manage God. Stop trying to manipulate God. Stop trying to control God and stop resisting God. Don't say to God, God, I'll get right with you someday. Today is the salvation, the day of salvation. Turn to the Lord and be saved, please. He says, know that I am God. Recognize that the God of the Bible is sovereign. That he rules as he will. Submit to God while there is time. Flee for refuge to his son, to his sacrifice for sinners, to the one who died in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we can be made right with God through faith in him. Please don't wait. God will have his way. He says, verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's universal reign. God's supreme authority will be recognized by everyone. And we've seen that before in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. How God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. 
That's his own name, Yahweh. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is Yahweh. You will one day cease striving. But please do so today. And that's particular to those who are raging against the God of heavens. But you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, know the temptation still to rage against the Lord. To be at odds with him. To kind of have a general feeling of angst during this time when things are not going the way that you had planned. We too need to cease striving. We too need to trust the Lord who's going to glorify his name over the whole earth. And whether that means trusting the Lord with the food we have in our cupboards, with what is going to happen to our job when it reopens, dealing with the challenge of our kids maybe cooped up in a small place for some of us. We trust in the Lord. Don't strive against him. Submit to him. He's good. He's good. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if he is Lord in your confession, if he is Lord of your heart, exalt him as that. Trust him. But if he is not your Lord, he is going to be exalted. If he is not your Lord, your side is the losing side. So let this coronavirus convince you, you're not in charge. Turn to him and be saved. What great comfort can be yours if this victorious universe reigning, peace bringing, peace bringing, peace bringing God is your God. And this is where the psalmist goes. Again, he says the same thing he said in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We are the ones who have given up. We have stopped striving. This is our God. If Yahweh, if Yahweh with his angelic host is on your side, if the God who chose the, same, the sinful Jacob is your stronghold, then you will join the host of, these, of those who eagerly watch and wait, grab a front row seat, be confident that Christ is returning. Wait to see what God is going to do. You may not be able to see his handiwork today in your bank account. You may not be able to see his control in the ever-increasing numbers of coronavirus, coronavirus positives cases there are daily. He might seem missing to you as you watch the Dow Jones. Your plans for this year may have been totally wiped away this last week. But if God is your refuge and strength, you are in the front row to behold the works of the Lord. So don't worry. Don't fret. Your king will come in the morning. So let's see how God came in the morning 2,800 years ago. So if you're, if you're not already there, go ahead back from Psalm, Psalm 26. Go backwards to 2 Chronicles 20. And I'm going to pick up that story of, of what King Jehoshaphat. Remember all those people with their infants and their kids. And the sons of Korah singing what they were waiting for the next morning. Verse 20. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. They arose early in the morning. 
and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and what he promised he's going to do and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire, the sons of Korah, the Levites, they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is ever everlasting. This is why we need to have sing here this morning together, and why we need to keep worship going on in our homes, because we give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Verse 22. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. We have no idea exactly what this looked like. They turned on one another and destroyed each other. Verse 24. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. Let's skip to verse 27. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, to the temple. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the land when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The saints of uh, the, the saints in ancient Jerusalem, the sons of Korah, and we don't really know. It was easy to guess that they sang Psalm 46. It's easy to even imagine. Maybe they were up in the night writing Psalm 46 so that they could sing it when they came back from the victorious battle. In Psalm 46, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And after I pray in a minute, we're going to sing with them. Lord, our heart's desire is for you to be exalted in this current distress we are facing. We want you to be exalted as our strength. We want you to be the one who is clearly our stronghold. Father, you know what these, what these weeks ahead hold for us. We don't want to assume, we trust, Lord, that many, many, millions upon millions, billions will be healthy and, 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 and survive through this. But we are those who will point to you as our strength and as our stronghold. We confess our confidence in you this morning. You are our refuge and strength. You are a very present help in trouble. So we come to you asking for help so that we will keep doing the next right thing and keep pleasing you, keep obeying you. Father, we are those who refuse to fear because of what you are to us in Christ Jesus. Because you are our strength and stronghold. And Father, today we look to you for, for protection and for the provision that we need. Lord, and we have an even sweeter protection and an even sweeter provision, more than food, 
more than health care, Lord, we have your son. And we thank you for the eternal protection we have in him. That those of us who have hid in Jesus Christ have been rescued from your wrath that was extinguished upon him. And now there's nothing left for us but grace. And we don't deserve that, Lord. We are, we are unworthy and we are thankful for the protection we have in him. For the provision we have as your spirit has given us what we need to be pleasing to you, Lord. And even as we think about, about Habakkuk last week, Lord, though there be, be no grapes or olives and though there be no cattle or, or sheep, Lord, we have all that we need to be pleasing to you and we are confident that you will strengthen us, that our youth will be renewed like eagles, that we will be like those deers jumping on the mountain peaks in confidence, Lord, that you will strengthen us until your son returns and now we are watching and waiting. We are waiting for you to, 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 to wipe out diseases eternally. We are waiting for you to bring in universal peace. We are waiting for you when the nations come and bow before your son. And Father, we thank you that you have made known to this with, with clarity, Lord, that this is, is, is the light and the darkness that we are holding on to. We are waiting for morning to come, for your son to arise. And we look forward to that so much, Lord. Oh, Father, give us hearts to, to, to find you our refuge and strength, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, that they would be an example to one another, that we would be continuing in fellowship with one another, that we would be an example to our kids. May our hearts have such confidence, Lord. May, 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 may we, whether we get coronavirus or not, Lord, whether the numbers jump to a million or 10 million today, Lord, may you be our refuge and strength in a way that makes Jesus so appealing. Lord, we thank you that he is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies, and you satisfy us in the morning. Lord, we are so thankful for your great grace to us, and thankful, Father, that we get to worship you together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's sing, I have a shelter. <laughs> 